Welcome to Healing House with Dr. Eileen. Dr. Eileen is an international healer, speaker, teacher, and published author of her latest book, Frequencies. Share the next half hour with us as we journey to find balance of body, mind, and spirit in an unbalanced world. We then invite you to call in or log into our chat and share your thoughts and insights. And now your host, Dr. Eileen. Well, hello and happy Thursday, everyone. This is Dr. Eileen with Healing House Radio. And for those of you who are in the L.A. area, the guest call-in number is 424-258-9337. And for everyone else, including those right here in the absolutely beautiful, does that look like some rain in our future, San Francisco Bay Area, the guest call-in number is toll-free 877-697-9725. If you call in, you can just sit and listen, or you can press 1, and producer Kaina will be on the line with you and see that you get connected up with me. We also have the chat room open, so you can log in there and hang out till after the show, and I will be checking in there afterwards. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can post them there too. So, as we come up on this weekend... We are celebrating fathers, and with this Sunday, now I don't know how many other countries um, honor this, and if, if you're one of the folks from one of the other countries, it would be so cool if log into the comments and let me know if you have a Father's Day or if there's any other day that commemorates that. But here in the U.S., we will be celebrating Father's Day on Sunday. And I always find it really interesting because a lot of times fathers kind of get the short end of the stick. Now, I know that, you know, there's a lot of dynamics in relationships and we're not going to get into who does more, who does less, anything like that. I just really want to acknowledge those masculine figures in our lives who when they come at it from, you know, from their good place and from their good heart are what I consider absolutely crucial parts of our development as people. And especially for our young men to have someone that they can look up to as a father figure. If it can't be their actual biological father to have somebody, maybe a grandfather, maybe an uncle, maybe a family friend, Someone that they can look up to and say, hey, you know, this is how I step into the world as a male. This is what it means to be a man. And often, and especially in spiritual discussions, I have found that there is sometimes an overemphasis on the feminine energy being, you know, gentle and loving and nurturing and the masculine energy being more aggressive and, and, and actually sometimes casting a little bit of a negative light. Now, whatever you believe, if, if you love it, I love it for you. And this isn't about going up against anyone's belief systems regarding masculine or feminine energy or, or how that is. Again, we're not going to go there. And I find that it it has a tendency to be that idea that, you know, the feminine is the healing side and the nurturing side and all of that. And I've known a lot of guys 
who are loving and nurturing and healing and also protective, as I've seen women who go into that warrior place. So I really don't think it's specific. I don't think that one is necessarily exclusive of the other. And I think that both sides not only have their own line and shadow, but they also have that piece that can go into the nurturing place or that can go into the more assertive, you know, sort of, you know, let's go, you know, take something on energy. I know as a mother, there were times when I was in touch with the soft and nurturing and the huggy sort of thing. And there were times when, well, shall we say things got a little bit more energetic and I tapped into my masculine because my father, when I was growing up, you know, he was, well, when I was very young, he was in the Air Force and both my parents were Air Force and my mother retired because at that time, you know, way back when you couldn't, a woman couldn't stay in the Air Force and have children. You couldn't be pregnant. So after her and my dad got married, she retired from the military and focused on four kids. And there were four of us born in four years, which actually was like just under four years, which is fascinating. Um, My older brother and sister were almost exactly 12 months apart. And me and my older sister were like maybe about 14 months apart. And it was only like 15 or 16 months between me and my youngest brother. So, yeah, we had, there were a clump of us right close by. And my dad, he stayed in, so there were many times when the only time we saw him was when he'd come home and we would relocate somewhere else, which we did about every 18 months or so. And so growing up, I really didn't interact with my father much. And I, you know, my dad was like the center of my world. And even though I didn't see him much, I I still felt this, like, really close bond with him. And when he announced in 1969, 1970, that he was leaving the military, um, the only good thing that I saw out of that, because I loved the military life, the only good thing that I saw out of that was that I would get to spend more time with him. And as, you know, the years progressed and he was very – very active in in local government, and he had a way, you know, people would come and he'd counsel with them, and it was amazing watching him be able to work with people, and really that was very much a part of what made me who I am, because I'd sit and watch him, and he he would point little things out to me, and it's like, okay, we're going into a political situation. I want you to notice how the people behave in the room. I want you to look at, you know, and really it was very much about reading the energy. You know, who are the people? And after we left, he would tell me, it's like, okay, what did you pick up? Who were the people that you saw who were the most important people in the room? How did people respond to them? You know, when you're, when he would be talking to people, it'd be like, you know, okay, what is their body posture? So he really instilled in me a very strong sense of, interacting, you know, on a lot of different levels, and especially on the levels of 
you know, when you're interacting with people who, you know, maybe politically contacted to you or connected to you or, you know, some sort of situation where power brokers are working, he was able to teach me about observation, about how you address someone, about how to show your total displeasure with a smile on your face. So there were a lot of things that I learned from my dad. And he passed away in 92. And it was, it was really tough because I was living in Louisiana at that time. And he had been ill for quite a while. And it just kind of accelerated very quickly at one point. And by the time I got here, you know, by the time I got back to California, he was no longer responsive. They, they had gone ahead and medicated him to the point where um, he was not in pain because that was the most important thing. So he was not conscious. And when I walked into the room and I took his hand, and I could still feel him. I could still, I sensed him there. And so I had that conversation. And later on, my mother commented to me. She said, I knew that when you walked in, you would talk to him. I knew that you were just going to communicate with him. Because she said she always knew that he and I had that special connection. And I often, I don't think a day goes by that at some point he doesn't cross my mind. You know, he as well as my mother, you know, who passed away um, in 2002. I still feel them as a strong part of me. And as I looked at how my father went around, walked around in this world, it was as a very strong person, and that was something that he wanted his children to to portray. He wanted them to have that strength. Ever since we were little, he would hold conversations. It's like, okay, you know, if your mom and I were, you know, if we went on a trip and something happened to us, what would you guys do? How would you take care of yourselves? And so we talked about things like that. He wanted us to be self-reliant. He wanted us to be able to have the confidence to go on no matter what. And I really honor the fact that that was one of his driving forces. It, it was like for him, he wanted to make sure that we knew how to take care of ourselves, that we would know how to survive, that we would know how to do things and not be in fear or not be frozen. And I see a lot of, of guys that I know and, you know, some are grandfathers. And some are dads, some are new dads, some are, you know, more seasoned dads, you know, got those teenagers at home, those early 20s. And often I am just so touched with seeing how, you know, they want to instill so much because it is, you know, a really challenging world that we live in. You know, when I was young, it was challenging for different reasons. It's always a challenging world. And when I see a man who is, you know, kind of, you know, talking to his little one, maybe a toddler, and it's like, okay, you know, no, here's how you do it, and, you know, teaching them maybe, you know, how to how to use a hammer for the first time or, you know, teaching them about something. It just so touches my heart because I, you know, I remember watching 
um, my ex-husband, you know, with, with my sons. And how often he said, he would say he was so scared because he wanted to do it right, but there was nothing, you know, he was just kind of winging it. I mean, we all just wing it. And you want to do the best you can. You want to get in as many lessons. And I really think for our men, you know, as, as they're trying to help these younger men kind of move up into the world and step up into their own power and step up into who, what their defini- definition of being a man is, I've seen struggles with that, you know, because often maybe the example of the previous generation wasn't so great. Maybe they're trying to correct what it was that they grew up with. And, you know, our guys, they, my generation, grew up with phrases like, you know, big boys don't cry, and you don't show emotion, and you go and you work because that's your job, and you have to know how to fix a car and and kill spiders, that you always had to have an answer, and you were the one responsible for making sure that your family was okay. And if that meant, you know, two or three or four jobs, you had to do it. And yet there was sort of a a denial of their ability to be able to cry, of their ability to be able to admit, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And I think that that's something, I see that as something that's changing. I see more people, more fathers, you know, more young men who are willing to admit I don't know, and and cry. I think that that's the most amazing thing. I was once told that tears were the sincerest form of prayer. And the idea that for a long time, you know, our, our brothers, our fathers, our uncles, our grandfathers, they did not have that as an option. They didn't have that opportunity to pray in that way. Or it had to be something really major. And so I, I see a shift happening. And while, yes, sometimes and in a lot of cases we've got women who are having to be father and mother for their kids, I still believe that, you know, the guys, they do want to step up. They do want to be good fathers. It's just maybe they don't know how. Maybe they are not sure, and they don't know how to ask. They they don't feel comfortable admitting, oh, my gosh, I really don't know what I'm doing here. And I think that a definite level of compassion is due for that. I mean, as females, we have a, you know, sort of a biological thing that happens, and we, you know, start our menstrual cycles, and it's like, okay, you know, now we get to – find out all the woman's stuff and, and about how to manage that. And in our culture here, we really don't have that. You know, there are certain uh, religions and, and faiths and spiritual practices and, and you know, cultural traditions that provide that. But as an overall thing, I, I don't think that our young men have that. It's like, okay, you're taller, you get clumsy, and, you know, you start developing body odor. Maybe your voice changes. 
And these are all things that kind of go into that awkward place. But to actually have, you know, an opportunity for young men to sit down with a group of older men and say, hey, you know, I what does it mean to be a man? And to actually have a dialogue where, you know, maybe, you know, some guys are military and, and, you know, and some guys are just, you know, have been working hard and some guys, you know, maybe made a lot of mistakes, maybe got into a bit of trouble. But their input is important too. It's like, hey, you know what? I thought I was too smart to, you know, get caught doing something wrong and I got caught and I paid a price. You don't need to do that. You can achieve and you can be and you can do something other than what I did. You know, you can make something of your life more than what I had. And I mean, bottom line, as a parent, whether you're a mother or a father, the goal should be that your kids achieve more than you ever did. Not because you make them do it, but because that's what they want to do. And I have seen some awesome, awesome examples of fathers, and 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 father figures because you don't actually you know you don't have to be a father to be a father figure you don't have to have produced a child to have somebody that you mentor who looks at you and says hey you know you're the one that they can go to when they need to cry and i think that is so beautiful i think that if somebody can step up and, you know, maybe it's not even somebody who was born in a male body. We have many of our women who, you know, who hold that masculine energy, who feel that masculine energy, and who are able to, you know, hold that that place to help somebody grow, to help somebody move forward you know, to guide, you know, young guys into stepping up, into being the men that they can be. And I really think it's very much about believing in a young man's ability to step up and be a man. And what that does is that allows them to become better fathers. That allows them to become better individuals, better mentors, when we believe in them, when, you know, when we believe in the fact that fathers are going to make mistakes just like mothers. You know, we sometimes as a parent you do your best and then you look back and go, wow, I did not choose well on that one. But you chose as well as you knew to choose in that moment. And as as young men grow, the whole idea is, that they be able to step up one day as fathers. When I look back at pictures of, you know, my parents when we were very small, and I saw the pictures of my dad, and in some of them, he just, you know, he was holding us, and there was love in his face, but there was also like this little bit of fear, like, I don't know if I'm holding the baby right. Or, you know, it, it, it was like, you know, my dad had both sons and daughters, two boys, two girls. And on one hand, it was trying to 
raise his sons up so that they could be good men and, you know, to do his best to do that. And on the other hand, he had daughters who he wanted to be able to choose good men. And I have always been of the opinion is if you would like your daughter to choose a good man, then you show her what a good man is in a relationship, in a marriage. If you can demonstrate respect for, you know, for your, your wife or, you know, the mother of your children, then that is what that daughter will look for. And if you can demonstrate treating women with respect, treating yourself with respect, treating other men with respect, that is what young men will grow and express because it will be what they see. It will be the example. And I've known some tremendously cool guys who never had children, yet they were able to give the most amazing fatherly advice. They were able to listen. And that was one of the things that my dad always did. He would sit back and he'd listen. And it was interesting because, you know, our friends would come and they'd always want to come over and talk to my dad. And we'd be saying, it's like, come on, let's go out. No, 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 we're going to talk to your dad. It's like, I talk to my dad all the time. Time to go. Let's go out. Because as a teenager, the last place you want to hang out is your own house. And we'd be getting ready. to. I'd finally, you know, we'd get our friends to leave, me and my younger brother. And we'd finally, it's like, okay, let's go to the movies. Let's go do this. And suddenly, from the living room, we'd hear my dad call out, who wants to watch Wheel of Fortune? And suddenly, the plans for the evening were done. Our friends would go tooling in there and all sit around as my dad sat in his big chair and they'd be sitting on the floor around him or sitting on the couch and we'd be watching Wheel of Fortune. And the fact that they they felt so safe around him, it was I it was something that I didn't appreciate at the time, but I appreciated later. Because every kid that entered my house, my dad took care of as if it were his own. And we would have um, graduation parties or, no, senior ball parties. After the senior ball, my dad would get up and, you know, well, it was both my dad and my mom. They'd get up and they'd start cooking at about 1 in the morning. And by the time everybody finished up with, you know, senior ball and everything, people would start collecting at my house. And my dad would serve them breakfast. And everybody got a breakfast. And, you know, they'd come in. And, I mean, people would, you know, one young man put his feet up on a table. And before any of us could say anything, everybody else was like, man, what are you doing? You're not at home. You take your feet off their table. And my dad went outside. And, you know, because he kept an eye and he noticed that one young lady who was on crutches was missing. And he goes outside, and she's outside smoking. And he said, well, why are you out here? It's cold. And she said, I didn't want to smoke in your house. And so my dad just smiled. He said, look, you come in, and you be comfortable. And he sat her down, and, you know, he put a pillow under her foot and gave, handed her an ashtray. And then 
usually people started getting sleepy at about, you know, five or six in the morning. And my dad, each and every one of them, my dad would drive home. He'd get out, and he had a huge Mercury marquee. It, it was a battleship of a car. And he would pile them up in there because the rule was as soon as they got to the house, they called their parents, let them know where they were. And if they didn't know my dad, my dad would get on the phone with them. And he'd say, you know, they're going to stay here. Then I would bring them home. And he would spend a good hour or so taking kids home as they were ready. He didn't say, okay, everybody, we're done. But, you know, when they started getting sleepy, he said, would you like me to take you home? And he drove each and every one of them home. And everybody wanted to come to the events over at my house because my dad would talk to them, you know, as if he really cared about their ideas and about their dreams. And he would tell them, it's like, hey, you know what? You can achieve this. You can achieve that. And he was always harder on his own kids. I thought, you know what? You're so patient with everybody else. Everybody else gets to, you know, be, be oh, yes, well, you know, it's we can do these things. We can put this stuff together. And he was not quite as understanding. And his answer to me was, well, I know who raised you. You should know better. And when I was a teenager, that seemed terribly unfair. And yet I remembered and I realized that, yeah, we had him all the time. My father was an amazing man. And he also had shadows. He had his struggles. He had his fears. He had, you know, his, his, his inner demons just like everybody else. And yet, I can honestly say that there was not one time that I didn't think he loved me. And I remember right after he retired, I was going through a very difficult phase where it was like, for some reason, I didn't know whether or not he was really there and whether or not he was really going to be staying. And, and I, it was, there was a lot of things in my mind. And, so, and I was a very clumsy child. And so we were doing dishes, and it was just the two of us. And... I was I was really being extra careful with a glass. And my father said, well, why are you being so careful? I said, because if I drop it, you might get mad at me and you might not love me. And he was saying that, you know, he just kind of looked at me. He said, of course. He said, if you drop that, I wouldn't stop loving you. I don't know what possessed me, but right in that moment, I took that little glass. I was maybe eight years old. And I smashed it to the ground intentionally. And I looked up at my father and he looked, at first there was shock on his face. And I guess he looked into that little eight-year-old face, my eyes looking up at him. And he knew that I needed to hear more than anything else in that moment that he loved me. And so he gently went and got the broom and we cleaned it up together. And then he looked at me. And he knelt down and he said, I will love you forever. Even if I'm not here anymore, I will still love you. That is my favorite memory. 
that was a moment that was so tremendously special. No one else was there. No one else was a part of it. And to this day, when I feel that stress, when I feel that heartache, when I feel that separation, and, and he has shown up to me in dreams, but I always remember that moment when he said, I will love you forever. And I think that moment exemplifies what it means to be a father for me more than anything else. I hope that everyone else has a memory like that. And if you don't, it's not too late. So I want to thank you for joining me. I wish everyone a wonderful week. I wish wish all our fathers and father figures the best possible Father's Day. And we will be back next Thursday, same time. And if you would like to comment on this or any other episode, please go into the archive and uh, pull up the episode and comment. You can also reach me through my website at www.the-healing-house.com. You can follow me on Twitter and like me on Facebook. So until next time, I wish you balance and I wish you blessings. I wish you amazing opportunities to experience the fullness of the divine masculine. If you are a part of that group, the Divine Masculine, thank you. Thank you, men, for being there with us, for struggling, and for doing your best. Because I And for those of you who may not have been born in, in you know, a masculine form and yet carry that energy, bless you too. This is Dr. Eileen with Healing House Radio. Take care.